Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Question me, Rose. Run for your life. Fatality. I'm Batman. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. This is episode 120, the final episode of our third season. How do we get to the notion of season three in early August? Well, we started Release the Geek in September of 2014 and promised to deliver 40 episodes every 12 months. Episode 120 rounds out the season that began in September of 2016. This means we'll be taking a break for the next few weeks and we'll be back again in early September to start on our fourth season of Release the Geek. I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you very much for listening to any number of the podcasts we've dropped, and a big thank you to Franco Stratum and to Vittoria Leonardi for helping to make Release the Geek what it is. We round out our third season with one more panel from Icon 2017, and we're continuing with the esports theme. Last year, Icon 2016 played host to a panel discussing the state of esports in South Africa, and it's been a very busy year for esports since. Last month saw the completion of two major esports events in South Africa, the Rush event brought to you by NAG, and the VS Gaming event. Last weekend saw the inaugural Valkyrie Girl Gamer competition with 50,000 Rand prize money, as well as the announcement that the Nexus in Randburg, Johannesburg, will play host to the Hearthstone European Summer Qualifiers for South Africa. The profile of esports has never been higher, and all of this can be framed against the backdrop of Valve's Dota 2 The International competition, which has amassed an incredible prize pool of over 24 million US dollars. With the massive growth of esports locally, we'd like to present to you this year's Icon 2017 panel talking about the current state of esports in South Africa, hosted by SA's tech girl, Sam Wright. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it completely salt-free. Thank you very much to Franku and the Diva for the rating, but for now, without any further ado, let's release the geek as we discuss the current state of esports in South Africa. And now, we're releasing the geek. What is your profession? We'd love it if you could come and join us, give up 45 minutes of your time to listen to a bunch of people talk about competitive video games. And when I say a bunch of people, I've got some interesting characters to my left. So to start out with, probably one of the best Counter-Strike players in the country, sure. Sharon Shazwayson. She has been overseas, was part of a team that won Copenhagen Games, one of the few South African gamers to win a big international title. And then next to Sharon, of course, I have Barry Anthrax Lazada. Better? Better uh, well, pronunciation? Well, I was called the Zuda on radio yesterday, so... So you're fine. So, I'm okay. So Anthrax is... He was a Battlefield player, uh, extremely competitive, won many titles, and then proceeded to, to found Metal <laughs> State, which is an, uh, an esports organization that made history at the beginning of the year by hosting the Samsung Galaxy CSGO Championship, the biggest prize pool at the time for a single title. He pulled that off with international production as well. I'm not biased at all, I work for him. And then, <laughs> to, to Anthrax's left is Brad Cherry Cherry. 
Yeah. Did I get that wrong? Yeah. That's my surname. Cherry Cherry. Cherry Cherry. So in-game Nick is cherry. is Cherry. I'm going to refer to Shaz, Anthrax, and cher- Cherry as such, just so you know. I'm not okay. crazy. Those are actually names that they get called. <laughs> and finally, right on the end, this is a little bit interesting. Ebert De Brain. He is a lawyer. <laughs> and he's here because last year we hosted this panel and, and some of us, Anthrax and I, got into a lot of trouble. So we thought we, we'd bring a lawyer along just to... to no, I'm just kidding about, about why we bought the lawyer, not that we didn't get into trouble. Ebert's here just to weigh in from a legal point of view. So last year here at ICOM, we did this panel for the first time, which was the state of South African esports. And interestingly enough, we, we had another character on the panel, and, and him and Anthrax had quite a debate about the legal issues involved in competitive gaming. So that's why Ebert is here. That same character also had a Justin Bieber fringe. Cherry, did you get fashion advice from him? Oh, fantastic. Uh, no, this, no, it was... Uh, <laughs> It just came to me in a dream. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna grow myself a fringe. You're gonna be Justin. I'm gonna be Justin Bieber. I heard that in the in the Call of Duty community, you are in fact known as the fringe. Yeah, unfortunately, it's yeah, it's been there for quite a while. Um, I don't know how I feel about it to be honest. Just embrace it. Embrace it. It's who you are. I'm the only one who actually is embracing it. Unfortunately, I'll embrace it. I stand out. So, so what we've tried to do here is, is like we've got an organizer, we've got someone who's on the back end doing the events, we've got legal representation so we can chat a little bit more about the, the legal implications of, of how esports has changed in the country. And then we have two competitive players, one in CS, which is where all the money is going, and another player in Call of Duty, which is a bit of a smaller title that, and is console based that isn't really seeing as much support as CS. So to start the straight off, Anthrax, Yes. Why does CSGO get all the money? Because it's the better game. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm going to try and say this from a... Well, the simple fact is, is that it has a lot more support worldwide purely because there's that whole, that whole movement where console is like almost like your gateway, gateway into, gaming, into gaming. And then you move. Kids tend to move into the PC realm because what happens is... is you want that extra bit of customization in game. You want to be able to get those frames out of your PC to make your game run more smooth. You want to be more competitive. Consoles at the moment don't allow you to do that. So you can't really market prizes and, and market towards kids under 18. It's actually illegal to, yeah. to, to market, if I'm not mistaken. You can't market to kids under a certain age. So as much as there's hundreds and millions of hundreds and thousands and millions of kids playing on console, it, it's just not financially feasible for any brand to want to put their money behind it, except for Activision and PlayStation, the guys that are actually making these consoles and games. Shaz thinks it's because it's a better game. But the truth is, Cherry, if we look at it, most of the, I mean, we're talking specifically South Africa right now, most of the top CSGO players right now came from a COD background. Most of the competitive guys. Most, no, I've heard that, yeah. Like, 50-50, because a lot of the top players now are also old counterfeit players, like Detroni and all those people. So is the plan to jump? I mean, will you leave console eventually? Is that what you have to do if you want to make this a career? I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, like, um, I try to play CS. I'm horrible, for one. I try to play that. But um, I love uh, the... The, the console games, I love just the like the controller for example. And um, like you said that it is a like a gateway into gaming, which is correct, hundred percent. But then again a lot of players just love the, the, the console scene and the console games too much for uh, for them to leave to 
um, a CSGO team or, or, or Dota or League of Legends scene, for example. So, I'm, um, and I'm in that boat. Like, I enjoy my, my scene, I enjoy my console gaming, and that's where I stand. I, I, sorry, I know it's not my place to ask the questions here. No, I want, I so just, what I want to do is let's, let's throw all notions of what a panel looks like. This is a discussion. I so jump wanna, in, punch each other when you feel necessary. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. I want to know why, how long you're going to play a game like Call of Duty and, and be okay with winning 100,000 Rand when guys are walking away with 350,000 Rand for one tournament. I agree with that. Um, our scene is growing. Um, which I'm very happy about, but um, for me uh, personally, this is like this title, um, Call of Duty. This is where I started like my gaming venture, if you want to refer to it as that. And last year at Rage, there was a, a Mag Cup, which was hosted by the, the, the Call of Duty World League, which is a massive thing for us. And we had that, and that's just like it's a sign for most of my community that things are looking up. We are growing. Um, Fantastically, which are, which we're all very happy about. How much was and the prize money? Yeah, there's going to be another one coming oh, up, which well, is. I mean, I want like, so. I want a lot of, I want a PC, I want a monitor, I want money, and I want peripherals. Like, so let's put this into perspective. You're excited because the biggest title you had last year was a hundred and twenty thousand rand prize pool. Is mm. that right? Yeah, yeah, that was the biggest prize pool. Shares. I think my even... individual prize like worth fifty thousand rand alone. And, and you like didn't even each. play in Masters, you played in I played in the, yeah, the normal... But I mean, it's yeah. like you're playing a year, a year for 125,000, split up against mm. eight teams. So I think the top team maybe walked away with 60,000 Rand. That's how many guys on a team? Five? Four? No, there's four. There's four, four. Yeah. so a couple, couple thousand Rand. Yeah, uh, like, a lot of us aren't happy about that, but also our scene isn't, um, uh, like you'll agree, our scene isn't... Um, as large enough and as exposed to go into a professional scene. I don't 100%. know. Can you say that? I think this is interesting because I think there's more people playing on console and probably it is a bigger scene because of that. There's more social activity from 100%. the COD community 100%. than there is from any, from all of the Counter-Strike and Dota players combined in South Africa. And I agree that, with that. that agree that's with that. a problem. But then um, that also goes towards uh, the fact that, um, like you said, console is a, is a gateway into gaming, which is definitely the case here. Yeah. Um, and... Um, the the local CS:GO scene. Uh, I'm not too sure if it has reached that uh, like that pro scene or like that uh, professional scene, which I'm sure it's very close if if it hasn't uh, reached it yet. But the the local Call of Duty console scene or console scene uh, just in general isn't going to reach that very soon at all. We're still growing. Yeah, we also um, st we also still very behind that. Mm. I want to get so, to an international level. So yes. Ivet's sitting very quietly on on the edge there, and this is where he comes in talking about a growing scene. What we've seen this year is million rand prize pool from Metal State. Then we saw another, I think it was 1.2, and then it was 1.7. It's and five in total. Then it was two. There's just constantly these tournaments with these big money prize pools being thrown up. From a business point of view, why is this happening? Why are big companies getting involved and in throwing money behind this? Well, I think, to be honest, uh, from a business point of view, um, a lot of sponsors, particularly sponsors that are endemic, to the technology gaming industries are seeing the reach that video games are, 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 are at the well that we're experiencing now. So, from that point of view, uh, they're experiencing the reach. They're seeing if we put our money in, if we put our money in early enough, we will be at the forefront of that of that hype. Um, so, two three years ago, 
prize pools weren't as big as they are now. This year, you've got a situation where we've got five million. I mean, the year's not even finished yet. There might be some more activity going on. So the reality of it is, is big companies with big budgets are entering the space. Um, and that means that gaming ultimate, ultimately will become more and more professional because what you have is investors, guys who have been in the business uh, side of things, um, who are seeing this as an investment opportunity. But likewise, when you have an investment opportunity, you want to make sure that your risks are managed. You want to make sure that you've got agreements in place to make sure that um, you don't lose out anything. You don't get any bad publicity from being associated with a tournament organizer or a team. Um, that, that, that applies to, to sponsorships as well. So ultimately, uh, why are you seeing it? I think we all know why we're seeing it. Uh, gaming is becoming more and more popular, and, and thank God for that. Um, but likewise, from a business side, from a legal side, um, things are becoming more and more strict, becoming more and more um, uh, financially driven, um, and they, they are seeing tangible results. Our market is still small, but if you have a look at overseas, there's tangible results in the form of, of marketing and sponsorship and being associated with brands in the gaming industry. And ultimately, that's good for our industry. I want to talk, you said, you mentioned bad publicity, but, and this is quite a controversial one, and I'm going to throw it to Anthrax, because as an organizer, I'm sure this is something that you, you potentially were worried about going in, is that we don't really have eyeballs on the content. So a lot of people aren't watching South African esports. So it's all very well to say we have five million rand prize pools coming in and we've got all this money, but if people aren't watching the content and they're not getting and actively engaging in it, does that mean that that money comes out? Because like you said, Call of Duty, most active audience, the, the, the players are there, the, the fans are there, and yet when you look at a CS and a Dota where the money is going, they're not getting the eyeballs on the stream. I saw a big competition, not yours, so you're lucky I can say this, that had the other night, it is more than a million rand up for grabs, four people watching at that particular point. That's four people. That's, more, that, that's less people than what we have sitting right here. I think, I think the problem is, is, and it's not a problem, but it has to start with the gamers themselves. If they want to see these games that they love so, so passionately achieve greatness overseas, as it is overseas, where there's a million dollars and 20 million dollars involved in it, they themselves have to start getting behind it. They have to start watching games, particularly games that they're not playing in. They need to get their friends to watch it. They need to educate their families and their, and their loved ones about this. Because the biggest problem is, is education. People don't know where they can go and watch these games. People don't even know that these games are available to watch. People don't know that there is, their friend is playing online for a million rand. I, I ran a tournament where Metal State, we, we spent a lot of money on, on marketing and publicity for, the, for that particular event. And still today I have people asking me, when is the competition starting? We've already paid out the money. And, and the problem is, is, again, I go back to it. It starts with the gamers. They have to take responsibility and they have to take the onus on themselves to start watching games that, aren't there, that they're not involved in. Because if you're not watching other people's games, they're not watching yours. Shaz, why do other competitive gamers not watch the games? I don't know. I, I, I try to watch as much South African CS as possible. I mean, these are your opponents. You want to see how they play as well. So I don't see why you wouldn't want to watch. So you're in a situation where, as CS players, you can watch. But Cherry, from yeah. a COD point of view, is it maybe just because 
the content is not there for you to watch? No, um, if, you're a, if you're a Call of Duty player, especially if you're a uh, competitive player, you'll, you'll understand the, like how, uh, for example, uh, CSGO works or Battlefield works in a sense. Like, I found it's really easy uh, to grasp those certain games, like those uh, first-person shooters. But it, but when it comes to Dota and League of Legends, like it's very hard to understand because it's a very different concept. It's a very different concept. So, like, um, I will watch local CS:GO or international uh, um, CS:GO tournaments, 100%, and I do. Uh, Battlefield, I used to watch a little bit. Um, League of Legends and Dota, like I said, I find it hard to watch because I don't understand. I'm not, I'm not educated enough to understand the concept and the objective of Th the game. That I can agree with. You know, if you if you played FPS and you understand the fundamentals of what needs to happen, you would watch that game. 100%. And the 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 one thing I notice, particularly in this country, and I know most of the people that play FPS <coughs> and and Counter Strike, Battlefield, Call of Duty, but Guys will rather watch an international game than a, than a local game. There can be a local game of CSGO, uh, rivals, energy versus bravado, damage control versus energy, whatever. If there is any international game, kind of major, they don't care about the local guys. And that's a problem. That is a problem. Because those are the same guys that want better casters in South Africa, that want more prize money, that want more events, that want more everything, <laughs> but are, are failing to support it on any level. Yeah, but how does that affect the corporate sponsor? Because when you come in as a corporate sponsor, none of this matters to you. You just, it, it doesn't, you want to, you put money in, you want to return. Exactly. At the end of the day, we've seen now with the tournaments we've got going on this year, uh, a large sum of money coming in. But the reality of it is, is that there's a lot of people that's very nervous about the fact that, is this sustainable? Um, from a corporate point of view, you want results. Um, you want to know that the feedback you're getting from a marketing and sponsorship point of view um, is sustainable because um, for argument's sake, if you have a big sponsor um, putting up money to, 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 to run a tournament, um, they're probably not going to be willing to do it the next year if, 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 if the feedback is, is not to their satisfaction. Um, and, and ultimately, I agree completely with what Barry is saying. Because we as, an, as, a, as a community in South Africa need to support what we are doing here. Because the net result of all of that will be coming back directly to us. Um, and ultimately, it's very nice to say that we've got, we've got 5 million rands with a prize pool in, in Counter-Strike. But the reality of it is, is that might uh, disappear substantially next year if, if the big corporate guys don't get what they want. Um, and it really is as simple as that. Uh, it's unfortunate, and I think, uh, like I said, I agree with Bay. We, as a community in South Africa, as an esports community, need to actively push and, and support, even if it's if it's games that we are not necessarily uh, familiar with or, or, or play on a regular basis. But it needs to happen. Otherwise, our industry is going to start going downhill, and it's going to start going downhill very quickly. So we've spoken a little bit about how we need to get behind the industry and, and feedback, specifically from a corporate point of view, which is what I want to talk about now, and let's just get straight into it. So there's a very good reason why I got an attorney to sit with us, because what we're seeing online now is, and it's something we chatted about, and we did this panel last year, Anthrax was there, we chatted about this, the, the legalities that are going to start coming in, the fact that players are going to start being treated like professionals. We've seen it recently where a team chose to withhold prize money because according to them, their contract stated that the players, if they left the team, had to return any peripherals and hardware that was given to the players. So when you play in an MGO, if they've got a specific sponsor, they may give you keyboards or a monitor or whatever else. 
That stuff had to be returned in order for them to get their money. The MGO refused to pay out. The players chose to take this to social media. They tagged the sponsor. They tagged the MGO. They got a bunch of journalists to write about it and basically made a huge scene online about how they weren't getting their prize money. In, let, let's, I'm going to get the player's point of view and, and then I'm going to then I'm gonna throw it to, to you two, gents. But Shaz, from your side as a player, did you feel that that was the only way these guys could handle the situation? Uh, no, I think they could have been more civil with the whole situation. Um, I think they just blew it out of proportion a little bit. I think they should have done it professionally between you know, closed doors and not like involve everyone. I think it was a bit overboard, to be honest. Have you had to sign a contract, though, with your MGO? Uh, no. So you haven't signed. There's no contracts in place. You can leave at any time. Yeah. Cherry, do you have a contract? No, no, not yet. No. So no contracts. No. Do I you did. guys get peripherals? Do you get sponsorship? I did have a contract. So you've had a contract before. I've had a contract before, yeah. Did you get a, a, a lawyer to read over it before you signed it? No. So why did you I sign it? Because I wanted free gear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I had to so give it back. I had so to give it we... back when I left. There we go. This is a conversation we had last year, and I think we're ready to talk about it. You signed the contract because you wanted the gear. Yeah. Have we reached a point, Everett, where this is going to become a problem? And I think that this issue that occurred with the other team highlights this clearly. I think, perhaps to put it in perspective, we are now reaching a point where MGOs, particularly in the Counter-Strike scene, um, are becoming more and more professional. And the, and the word professional is, is, is double-sided in the sense that on the one hand, yes, professional by its nature means that you are getting paid to do what you are. Well, but that's the thing. They're not it's getting paid. Not they're not getting paid. But this is my point because that, like I and said, it's a double-sided. Exactly, I agree with you completely. The other side of it is, um, is that you have a certain level of expectation of how people should act if you are going to portray that you are now professional or professional gamers or professional MGO. So, so the reality of it is, is until people are sitting down, signing contracts, being paid salaries, we can never Legally. say that we are professional. Um, and, and, and that's sad because we have now reached a point where the money coming down through the tournament organizers and the sponsorships to the MGOs and the players um, could perhaps justify that within the next year, two years, three years. That's, of course, if the, if the model that we have at the moment is sustainable. But, once again, what you can't have is a situation whereby players, um, and let's take this example, where, whereby players go to social media when they feel that they've not been listened to, when they feel that they, their rights have been infringed because they haven't been paid. Um, they go to social media, that eventually ends up at the sponsor, and the sponsor gets, gets pissed off, and although it might only affect that specific MGO, it creates a very bad uh, uh, image for, for, for the scene in this country. Um, and disputes like that are not necessarily uh, 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 just esports based. It happens in, in every single industry. Um, but specifically because esports is so centric on social media and our community is so linked uh, uh, to social media, the, 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 the feedback that you get is not conducive to a, a, a scene where we want to grow. Um, and unfortunately, that's probably going to keep on happening um, when you have situations where guys are still fighting about gear. I mean, uh, in all honesty, a professional MGO, that shouldn't really even be an issue. Um, but of course, we're not there yet where guys are willing to put the money down so that you know, gear is not an issue, where there's salaries being paid, where there's no issues relating to payments of, of of, of uh, 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 prize, money. Win, prize money. So, so the reality of it is, is we're not there yet. 
we'd like to be there, and these things are going to happen. It's not, it's not unnatural, but hopefully we can keep it out of the social media sphere. I, I want to add on to that, though, because I agree exactly with what you said there, but at the end of the day, we're dealing with young, young human beings here. These guys haven't even worked a day in their lives. Some of them are still in school. Some of them want to become professional gamers and become millionaires and whatever fantasy that they live behind. And, and it's all possible, but the simple fact is, is and it starts at the top. You as an MGO owner decide you are now going to start this gaming organization and you're going to pull these teams underneath your banner and you're going to go off and win all these titles and make all this money. It's your responsibility to look after those people, whether they're unhappy or happy. When they're unhappy, it's your responsibility to make sure that everything gets dealt with professionally. That's why these guys join these teams and these MGOs. You look at the, the top MGOs in, in the world, if not South Africa, and you see how well they're run. And you see that there's none of this nonsense that happens. You don't see any nonsense on social media, nothing from the players, nothing from the management. It all gets dealt with internally. And when you have, and this is, this is going to be your learning, your learning curve, where even your MGO owners, the young MGO owners, and the guys in, in, in question here actually have been around for as long as some of the older MGOs, so there isn't really an excuse here. But the simple fact is, is that the MGO is responsible for what happens. And there was, there were, I, I mean, everybody knows, everybody within the gaming community knows exactly what happened. And there was a much better way to handle it. So I, I don't even think, I think when you get desperate, you just start to throw out. And they, again, they are, they're young, they're 16, they're 17. They're, you know, when you don't get what you want, you, you, throw, a you, you throw a tantrum. <laughs> but you're young, so you're 16, 17, you want free gear. Some MGO puts a piece of paper in front of you and says, if you sign that, I'll send you your keyboard and you can just play your games. But that, that touches in, sorry, before I take a swig of my water, that touches in with what we spoke about tech-savvy parenting. If your kid is playing games and he's now gotten to the age, now we've, from Friday, we've now got to the point where you're now becoming a professional gamer. You as a parent, just as if your kid was a rugby player or a cricket player and some university or college approached your kid to say, we want your kid to play rugby or cricket for us, you as a parent would, would say, right, if you, sh if you knew or if you showed enough interest in, in what your kid was doing in extramurally, you would then go, okay, what, what are you signing there before you go off and sign anything? Because no parent is going to just let their kids sign stuff. And, uh, and, to, and parents have access to lawyers and at least, I mean, these I are the most- I want to ask there, so, so Evert, what is the cost roughly if, I, if I'm a parent and I have a, a contract that I want a lawyer to look at, how much is that going to cost? It's, uh, it's a bit difficult to determine, but- It's a two-pager. If, if yeah, exactly. If it's a two-pager, probably not even half an hour, you're looking at 500 to 1,000 rand. Um, so it's not, it's, but how it's, many lawyers, can, can any lawyer look at their contract? Uh, it's, it's difficult because ideally you would like to have somebody with a bit of knowledge about the industry. Um, a contract in its most generic form is very simple. But the reality of it is, is that if you are going to sit down with a 16-year-old and his parents, let's for argument's sake say the offer on the table is either a salary or a, uh, let's say, a percentage of prize money, um, you're going to firstly have a look at a couple of things term, so in other words, how long is he signing up for, uh, the amount that he's actually going to be making percentage-wise at this point in time. Uh, if there's a salary, there's other implications to that, um, but the reality of it is, is 
you need to understand not necessarily the contract itself, but the dynamic in which you are entering into the esports uh, field. So, in other words, um, if you know that this kid really has a lot of talent, you're not going to sign him up for five years at that amount. You'll keep it short so that after a year or after a specific tournament, he can then move on if need be. Because what you often see is guys signing agreements uh, that they don't understand, they're signing themselves in for a long period for very little money, um, and the NGOs would possibly come and say, well, we're going to enforce that. Thank you very much, you, you're not allowed to play for any other team. Um, and, and you know that's not what you want, and I, I would suggest that if, if you have a parent, or if, for argument's sake, the player is, is older than 18 and he can make his own decisions, have a word with somebody, an attorney, not necessarily myself, but the reality of it is, is somebody that's in the business, somebody that knows exactly what is going on so that you don't sign up to something that you don't understand. Sorry, at the same time, when you move to those contracts, then there needs, and you're gonna sign someone for two years, then there needs to be accountability. If that player wants to leave that team to join another team, that's when other teams now have to start compensating, remunerating the team for investing their time and efforts. And that's where, the, that's where you start getting that professionalism. Contract, value of player, and then teams who acquire those players need to make financial, fiscal remuneration for those players. I want to jump in here. So Cherry and Shaz, from a player point of view, he has a contract. I'll give you a keyboard. You're going to give it back to me when we're done. I'm pretty sure that's what your contract is. And a mouse. Maybe you get a headset if you're lucky. But if you want to leave in six months' time and go to another team, they have to pay me for you. Yes? No? But we're not paying your salary. You'll get your headset. No, there has to be some kind of there has to be, you know, like if a team takes a player overseas and they ensure that they are paid for, accommodated, yeah. and they take like them, and all their travel costs, and they've actually invested time and money into this person. This person has now been put on stage in an arena at, at somebody else's cost. They have been put, and again, sorry, to touch on what you were saying, you start, MGOs need to start investing money into building these players as brands as well. Because once, once you've done that, then there is that financial um, capacity there where they can say, we've invested X amounts of money in your personal brand, we've put you on the stage for this, we've taken you there, we've done this for you, now this is X, Y, and Z. And yet on the other side of it, what, what I think maybe MGOs don't invest is because players, and this is something we've seen recently, I don't know what the, the COD scene is, but I know in, in the likes of CSGO, Players jump teams every month. That's quite as very much the same. So what you have is you have all these players who whenever they don't like something, like yeah. Shaz said, temper tantrum, I'm leaving, gone. So cool, now we have a contract. Now I'm, I'm investing time in you, I'm doing all of this. And your response is, I don't like what you're doing, you don't pay me a salary, I'm out. What is the, is there a legal recourse here? What is the solution to this? Well, that would of course depend on your contract or if you have one. If you don't have one, then no, you no, don't have yeah. any legal recourse. Pretty much still um, and it's as simple as that, because like Barry was saying, the amount of investment that an MGO uh, in a perfect world would put into a player, um, there, there are so many aspects and facets that, that, that go into that, but the reality of it is it's a substantial investment, uh, time and money. Um, and the reality of it is, is if I know that a player is going to, 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 to leave after a specific tournament, I'm not going to put in all that time, I'm not going to put in all that investment, and ultimately it's to the detriment of my MGO. So from my point of view, if you are running an MGO and you're doing it properly, 
you need to have a contract in place with your players because ultimately what you want to prevent is you're planning not one tournament at a time. You're planning to create a, a brand, yeah. a, a team. And the reality of it is, is you don't want guys jumping ship because you know you've got talent here. You know you've got somebody that'll take you to the next level. And remember, it, uh, uh, eSports is not the same as, as, as your normal sport. Because what you're doing is, from a uh, competition to competition basis, your income that you generate is directly related to the performance of your team at that specific tournament. So if you lose a very big talent, a, a good player, that can upset your revenue stream for an entire year. So it's absolutely crucial that you have an agreement in place with that person so that you can enforce it if he comes to you and says, listen, I want to leave. You're going to say to him, no, sorry, you've got a contract, you have to stick with me. But to add to that, sorry, yeah. it's, it's like, and there is no excuse that you can't run it like that because Manchester United pays top dollar to Watford for a player. And Watford is the smallest football club in the Premier League, but they still run it properly. They have proper contracts. They're, doing, they're not doing it to the same level as what Manchester United is doing it, but they're still building a brand and they are investing in their players to the point where we don't have this scenario where people are jumping ship because they can't. You can't just go and, and jump ship. There's now five million rand in the pool here. There is money involved and people are winning down to eighth place. So the, I think the eighth team walked away with what the winning team at COD walked away with after a year. They took it in two months. So now it becomes a, a feasible case where you can make this money. So you need to invest that time and that effort into those players. They're the most important thing for what we've got here. We're chatting about the, the state of South African esports, and I think that we are definitely sitting on a, on a point where, where we're about to shift. And just to, to put this into perspective, we're talking about lawyers, we're talking about contracts, we're talking about players needing to, to get lawyers to read those contracts, MGOs to contracts and players. Cherry, you're a professional card player, you're in one of the best teams in the country. How old are you? Uh, I just turned 20. So you've just turned 20. How supportive are your parents of of your gaming career? Um, at first they were like, um, I was very uh, sporty in high school and stuff, so they almost saw it as like, a, like just another extramural in a sense that I just did on the side in, um, in a way. And when I told them last year that I was playing for a prize flow of 120k for a video game, they were like, okay, wow. And they, um, their first reaction was like, okay, uh, can I come watch? And I was like, okay, wow, I'm actually in like, my parents took it really well, which I was very surprised about. Um, so, yeah, my parents are okay with it as long as I get the results in, well, for some high school or, or then varsity or whatever. As long as you manage your, like the rest of your life, then go right ahead in a sense. So you're in a situation where if you went to your parents today and said, I need you to look at a contract, they would more than likely finance a lawyer to look at that contract. What Am parent I correct? Was probably, yeah, was probably. I, there's a lot of parents that aren't supportive, so that, that is something that they would go, no, I'm not going to waste a thousand bucks for no, this, this I, is I a joke. No, I hear that, yeah. Do you know, and you, you're 20, so say your parents weren't supportive, would you know where to start to find a lawyer? Not a chance, no. Shaz, from yeah, your side, pages. you just agreed, you signed a contract for a keyboard. A keyboard mouse, basically. <laughs> a mouse, a mouse is the defining factor, not just a keyboard. And at no, did you look at that at any time and go, I should probably get someone to look over this? Um, I don't know. I kind of like argued my points in the contract because they wanted me to sign for two years. And I said, no, like I will only sign for a year because 
in a year's time, things change in esports, so I don't see why I, you need to hold me for two years. So I mean, I kind of argued points and I got that. So I was kind of happy with the contract. So you were happy, but I mean, this is a conversation that came up last year on, on the panel where a particular organization contracted MGOs in, into certain contracts. And after everyone had signed, uh, some people were upset because there were repercussions to those contracts. And when you chatted to the guys that signed the contracts, the response was, but everyone else signed it. How do we change that mentality? Because I can imagine if you're a player on a team, you're doing really, really well, your team is performing, and some MGO comes and says, right, I, I want to contract you, and all your friends sign the contract. This is not something that's just South African. SK Gaming, this is one of the biggest CSGO teams well, in the world. The contracts in a pub, it was a reputable place. The one kid came out and wrote a letter, an open letter, going, well, we stuffed up, we all signed the contract, and I kind of didn't think it was a good idea, but they all signed it, so I went ahead. What is the next step in esports, Evert? How, how does someone like Cherry find a lawyer? <laughs> that's a difficult point. <laughs> um, hi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're doing business deals on stage, right? Um, now. It's done. The, the reality go. of it is I think people need to start taking esports seriously, um, and they need to start taking responsibility for their own actions. Um, the moment somebody presents you with a contract, it's not good enough to say, I don't know what it says, I just signed it because everybody else is doing that. Um, and, and the reality of it is, is the repercussions can be quite severe because luckily she, she had the foresight of saying, no, I'm not interested in doing two years. But most people don't because they get, you know, peer pressure is very real when, when you start dealing uh, uh, with esports, particularly for, for guys that are at a very young age. Um, and, and it's something that we need to educate them about. And I'm, I'm very, very much in favor of, of education. And I've, I've had a chat with Barry and a couple of other people in the industry. And it's something that we, are, we want to, 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 to develop and we want to create platforms whereby um, players and, and even uh, parents can, 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 can go and see, all right, well, this is what needs to happen. This is how we go about doing it. Um, because ultimately, the reality of, of esports is, is that for a player, uh, the lifespan is very short, um, even 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 shorter than a, a normal uh, athlete, professional athlete. So the reality is, is, you need to be able to maximise the potential that you have very quickly, and in a in a in a, in a in a in a way that you would be able to to make a lucrative living from that. And ultimately, that happens through educating yourself and making decisions that's that's going to be in your interest, uh, particularly your financial interest because ultimately we all need to eat and we all need to, to have a roof over our head. I think from a, from a gamer's perspective as well, I mean, I, I remember playing for a keyboard and a mouse. That was my prize, not a million rand. It was a year for some hardware. And the biggest problem that we have is that the gamers themselves are, are scared of missing out. Because if you don't sign the contract, somebody else is going to sign the contract, and then you're not playing in that tournament for that keyboard or that 5,000 Rand. So the more of these competitions that happen, the more awareness that comes around, and the, and the more solid the MGOs start out, the less, the less we'll have of guys having to sign two-year contracts for a keyboard and a mouse. The simple fact is, is at the moment it's just that fear, because anybody's going to come along and sign a contract for a keyboard and mouse because nowadays that stuff's expensive, man. Yeah, and the is. problem is, is that they just want to play. If you speak to any guy out there that's playing games competitively, they just want to play. They don't want to deal with lawyers, they don't want to deal with contracts, they want to play and have fun. 
and how at the same time I can win some money while I'm doing it. Interesting conversation. We're going to open it up to the floor now. So in case you, you've just joined us, we are sitting with uh, an attorney who understands esports because he plays video games every weekend. <laughs> just kidding. He understands the serious side as well. We've got two professional players, a CSGO player as well as a Call of Duty. And then, of course, we've got Barry Anthrax Lazada, the founder of Metal State, one of the biggest esports organizations in the country. If you have any questions for them, you've got 10 minutes. Now's your time. We can have a chat. Oh, I get nervous when people put their hands up, especially the one in the corner over ah, there. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, there you go. Um, what I want to know, actually, is listening to all the conversations, the contract idea sounds negative. It sounds like the NGOs are always trying to, you know, like, do the players in, anything like that, and everyone actually sounds scared of a contract. But, you know, personally, if I was investing time into doing things, you know, any source of my time, I as a player would kind of want security and I would insist on contracts. But what I don't understand is while half of the people are doing contracts and half of the people aren't even doing contracts, it's just shouldn't it be a standard throughout the gaming industry where everyone has a contract and everything should relatively be reasonable, you know, so that all the players actually know what's going on and then there's no tantrums at all, you know? I, th I, th I think the problem that you have, that we have, is that if the contract was there to protect everyone, it would be okay. But what's happening is, is half of the NGOs are using the contracts to beat the players to do what they want them to do. Sorry? No, it shouldn't be happening. And the other half of the, the NGOs, as I mentioned earlier, the top half of the NGOs, the guys who are spending time and money and effort on their players, where they're getting played, paid, the players are getting um, what they need to get done. And the problem is, is it's kind of like that fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing. Whereas I signed the contract and then all of a sudden I wasn't getting paid because, and the scenario is, is they're young kids, they're 17. They don't have money to send keyboards from across the, the nation to another place in the country. So they've now won money, we want to send our keyboards back to you, but we don't have the cash to do it. But the guy's using the contract that he made you sign and forcing and withholding your payments. And, and that's where you get that scenario where it's like, there's a negative connotation about these, around these contracts. I also just want to put this into perspective for you. Cherry, you, you are in an MGO. You are, if I'm not mistaken, top five yes. Call of Duty team in the country. Do you get any hardware or anything like that? Um, to be honest, we haven't um, had too many events um, under this organization that we're playing for to sustain like, uh, an agreement amongst them. Um, they told us that after our first event, for example, if we place well, then we'll, then we'll talk money, then we'll talk equipment and such, which, uh, which I find okay, that's fine with us. So you wouldn't but want a contract, if you're not getting anything, you don't want to agree to anything. 100%, I mean, 100%. So I, I think it's more, as I know for, I'm not a player, but I would imagine, and, and like, I think Shaz is probably in agreement, Cherry, I'm not gonna sign a piece of paper, if you're but doing nothing for me, why should I do stuff for you? But what happens if you do place well? and then they decide not to do anything. Then what? Then you've got the, but guy, you said you'd give us something. No, well. Well, there's no contract, so we can just we go can play just for another play for someone else. I mean, I left, I left one of my MGOs um, because I wasn't happy with the management, and even though I got free stuff, I would rather give that back and go to an MGO that's more professional. Um, so I left, and this MGO doesn't have any sponsors. So I just wanted it for, like, the, the 
the publicity and the professionalism. So we do have an, another question, I think. Uh, this is for Anthrax. Um, I don't, I don't really know the industry or anything, so I don't, I'm not throwing shade or anything. But I just want to know, like, I, I like watching esports, but I've never heard of Solid State uh, until now. And you said it was sort of up to the players to promote the game, but isn't it like your, as the event organizer, to organize an event? Like, why isn't there anything here at Icon, uh, CS:GO tournaments or? So. I hear what you're saying. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Metal State spent a large amount of money on pub, pub, publicity. We were on TV, we were on radio, we had adverts everywhere. We, what I was explaining was is the people that are involved in the tournament need to get, they need to watch the games that they're not playing in. They need to create awareness around that. And there's nothing more viral than the gaming community. If guys are talking about it, if guys are watching the games, they're going to want to. They, they need to get their friends on to watch those games as well. It's kind of like a, a situation where it needs to kind of start here, where we are first, and then grow. With regards to a tournament happening at Icon, we as Metal State had just finished our our first major tournament, and we were we're actually setting up for the announcement of our next really big tournament. So unfortunately, with Icon, it was just smack smack bang in the middle of two big tournaments that we're about to do. On, with regards to, I think there's some other events happening later on in the month where I think the timing is just, is just off. But what I'm saying with regards to the, the growth of esports is that we as, as esports players, whether it's casual or competitive, we're responsible to make that happen and we need to watch it ourselves. I also think, just, just to jump on that, because I understand what you're saying, is you watch esports, you didn't hear of, of Metal State, you hadn't seen that Samsung Galaxy CSGO Championship. It's also a very, very new industry. So I can chat from a marketing background of what we actually need is for the players to be sharing that as well, because the chances are, if the players are sharing it, they're in-game, they'll be telling you that. They'll be on Twitch streams telling you about it. Because the advertising side of it, and, and this is just a little bit of insight, is there was, uh, and, and I was involved, so I can jump in here. Yeah, a lot of marketing was done, a lot of advertising was done, but we're also creating new audiences because it's never been done before. So we need to find those audiences. We clearly didn't find you. But if we had the players chatting about it, watching that, it would be far easier for us to access you. And I think that that speaks to the point we're trying to make is the players have to get behind the scene before the scene can grow. They have to be watching the games. They have to support one another which is potentially where the downfall is right now in the industry as a whole, I think. I'm just talking out of turn, Anthrax, sorry. It's fine. Do I'm we have any, any other questions? Okay, so we're gonna close, we're done, we're gonna close yeah, it off. Did that answer your question though? Are you happy with that? Yeah, I think you guys are doing what you can do. I mean, I did see the CS go on adverts on Twitch. It was just sort of, I think the tournament had already happened when the ads were on Twitch. Uh, and, but I understand you guys are doing what you can. Okay, cool. Fire your marketing people. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's close this off. And, and final, final thoughts, the state of South African esports. Where are we, Shaz? Um, we actually, we, we've, we've grown quite a bit. I mean, I played CS, I remember going to like a little sports hall. And now we're playing on stages, we're playing in big events. It's, I think it's, we're definitely going in the right direction. 
Anthrax, when are you going to not do CSGO and do something else for Metal States? I feel, I feel, I feel like you're, you're guiding me into something that like, I need to... <laughs> we need more titles. Code. Dota. Lol. Go. So, I think the state of esports in South Africa is really good. Where it's going, there are so many organizations at the moment that it's getting to the point where I almost feel like it's a little bit too saturated now with, with organizations. We need now our events to happen. And um, Metal States is, is going to announce a really big tournament soon for possibly the same, same, same prize pool, but we'll have to see, we'll have to just see who, it is, who it's gonna be for. It Cher won't be for Counter-Strike. Not for Counter-Strike. There you have it. Cherry, do you want to weigh in what, uh, from a player perspective, especially in a new growing, it's not a new title, but a growing title in this country, what is the state of South African esports? Um, every year, like, every year after the next, it's, it's growing a substantial amount. It's growing crazy. I know that um, we haven't had any big events now um, for my team, for the, for the Call of Duty scene this year, which was upsetting after the whole Mac Cup, everything last year, but within the next few months now, there are confirmed, I think, at least three tournaments, which is awesome. Um, uh, I don't think it's confirmed yet, to be honest. So, we'll have to wait and see about that. <laughs> That's not Metal State, so I don't know how they work. Oh, okay. I don't know how professional they are. We'll have to see. I'm excited. Yeah, but from, yeah, a legal, from a legal perspective, do you want to weigh in? I mean, if, if someone's here and they're watching and, and maybe their kids play or, or maybe they play, what, what should they be keeping in mind moving forward? Well, to be honest with you, I'm very excited about how things are going to go in the next couple of months and years. Um, but knowing you know, the industry, I'm very tempered. So let's see how things go, because I, I really do think that a lot, of, a lot more non-endemic sponsors are, are going to come into the fray. Um, but once again, it, it, it's about results. Um, if, if you have a child that's uh, involved in esports, if you are uh, playing, um, you know, just just be cautious. Be educate yourself, and if, if you need help, you know, we've, we're, we're all on social media, so reach out to us. If if you want to pop me a mail, you can reach me on on, on Twitter. But ultimately, just educate yourself. Um, and make responsible decisions. Don't, don't just sign up to anything uh, because it gets uh, put in front of you for a keyboard and a mouse, please. Don't sign a piece of paper for a keyboard and a mouse, Shaz. Thank you so much. If you want to chat to any of our panel guests, they will Still be available. <laughs> they will be available afterwards. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rut and command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back. Yeah.